Hello and welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Director of Portfolio Management with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the July market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I will be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. In 44 BC, the Roman Senate changed the name of Quintilis, the fifth month, to Julius Mensis, what we now call July, to honor the Roman military commander, author, historian, and statesman Julius Caesar, and to recognize his introduction in 46 BC of the 365-day Julian calendar to ensure that the civil year could properly keep pace with the seasons. In the Northern Hemisphere, with its celebrations of Independence Day in the United States on the 4th and Bastille Day in France on the 14th, July is considered a festive month as it marks the beginning of summer and the second half of the calendar year. Spurred forward by optimism, one, that the post-pandemic U.S. economic recovery is continuing, two, that inflation appears to be transitory, and three, that the Federal Reserve will keep interest rates low for a while longer, June has confirmed a festive span for U.S. equities. The S&P 500 index rose positive 2.2% for the month, positive 8.2% for second quarter 2021, its fifth quarterly gain in a row, and all five of these gains have exceeded positive 5%, only the second time since 1945. The other time was in 1954 that the index has managed such a performance. And positive 14.4% for the first half of 2021, the S&P 500's best six-month period in 23 years. Two-year U.S. Treasury yields in June reflected recent higher CPI, PPI, and personal consumption expenditures inflation reports rising, 11 basis points from 0.14% on May 28 to 0.25% on June 30th. Nevertheless, during the month of June, indicating that these price increases may be temporary, intermediate and longer-term U.S. Treasury yields actually declined. 10-year U.S. Treasury yields fell 13 basis points in June from 1.58% on May 28 to 1.45% on June 30th, and 30-year U.S. Treasury yields declined 20 basis points from 2.26% on May 28 to 2.06% on June 30th. Over the course of the month, following the course of the higher inflation readings and the higher two-year U.S. Treasury yields, in June, the six major currencies DXY U.S. dollar index rose positive 2.6% from 98.08 on May 28 to 92.44 on June 30th. As shown in the table provided in the original commentary, the technology-heavy NASDAQ Composite Index finished the first half of 2021 positive 12.5% and had its best month of the year in June, rising positive 5.5%. The Russell 2000 Index of Small and Mid-Cap Companies rose positive 1.8% in June and is up positive 17.0% year-to-date for the first half of the year. Pummeled by rising short-term interest rates and a stronger dollar in June, gold experienced its worst month of the year, declining negative 7.3%, and now is down negative 6.5% year-to-date through June 30th. Buoyed by, one, disciplined management of supply by OPEC and its allies, as well as by U.S. shale producers, and two, significant demand growth from the developed world, more than offsetting still soft oil demand from the developing world, West Texas intermediate crude oil prices closed at 
$73.47 per barrel on June 30th, positive 10.8% in the month and positive 51.4% year-to-date for the first half of 2021. After a classically powerful price rebound from the March 23, 2020 pandemic-induced stock market lows, financial market participants appear to be well into embarking on phase two of the equity market story while continuing to search for some sort of coherent narrative during the month of June. During the month, stocks experienced both their worst week since October 2020 as well as their best week since February of this year. Amidst rather subdued equity market volatility, investors seem to be looking for a directional catalyst, all the while seeking a degree of clarity, some sort of definable trend, and rational insights as to the path of asset prices. In June, equities, bond yields, and currency exchange rates have tended to trace a seesaw teeter-totter, roller coaster, zigzag pattern in reaction to economic data. This is because virtually every piece of positive news has, in many cases, tended to be accompanied by an offsetting qualification, and every piece of less favorable news has not infrequently also carried a silver lining. For instance, while monthly U.S. employment gains have risen from positive 269,000 in April to positive 583,000 jobs in May and positive 850,000 jobs in June, of which government hiring represented positive 193,000, the U.S. labor market is still not yet experiencing broad-based and inclusive full employment. And despite June's robust pickup in overall hiring, the labor force participation rate of 61.6% remains 1.7 percentage points below its pre-pandemic ratio, and the employment population ratio at 58.0% came in 3.1 percentage points below pre-COVID levels. Based on careful analysis of the numbers comprising the June jobs report, bond market investors subsequently sent intermediate and long-term U.S. Treasury yields lower, not higher. Still another example of sweet and sour economic results involves the June ISM Manufacturing Index, which registered a quite strong reading of 60.6, down from 61.2 in May, with any reading above 50 indicating expansion. When the details are subjected to closer scrutiny, the ISM manufacturing number represents another example of headline strength, I'll bet with modification. The prices index, an important data point in an atmosphere of heightened concern over inflationary pressures, rose 4.1 points to a very elevated 92.1, which represents the highest reading in 42 years, and the employment component of the report declined by one point to enter contraction territory for the first time in seven months, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. As shown in the two charts provided in the original commentary, each of which covers the 1950-2020 timeframe, one, despite the third quarter generating historically the lowest quarterly returns for the S&P 500 index, averaging only positive 0.7%, with 62% of the third quarters in positive territory, two, July as a month has turned out on average to be a very strong month generally, particularly in post-election years. We will examine how asset prices may be influenced by the inflation outlook, corporate profits, and investor exuberance and liquidity. Now let's discuss inflation concerns. Opinion remains divided on whether consumer and producer price inflation rates are likely to be transitory or enduring in the months ahead. And to our way of thinking for the time being, the jury is out in terms of attempting to arrive at a definitive conclusion. Set forth are some of the arguments adduced on either side of this important question. 
Factors indicating that inflation rates are likely to be elevated and enduring include 1. Reported consumer inflation metrics have risen. The May 2021 Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index rose positive 3.9% year-over-year, while the May Consumer Price Index increased positive 5.0% year-over-year. 2. The May Purchasing Managers Index from the Institute of Supply Management showed the prices sub-index at 88%, slightly below April, yet appreciably higher than November, 65.4%, and December, 77.6%, suggesting that prices may continue to rise. 3. Semi-permanent to permanent structural changes, such as retirement and career shifts in the supply of labor may be putting more long-lasting-than-anticipated upward pressure on labor costs. 4. Because the Federal Reserve has altered its monetary policy from a forecast-based approach to becoming data-dependent, it is possible that it could fall sufficiently behind the curve encountering inflationary pressures to such a degree that actual and expected inflation rates could become embedded in market participants' expectations and 5. As shown in the chart provided in the original commentary, depicting house price increases in the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, record house price inflation could produce increased inflationary expectations and inflationary pricing behavior. Factors indicating that inflation rates are likely to be declining and transitory include 1. Recent high inflation data as of July 13th in large part reflect year-over-year base effects supply-side bottlenecks, commodity shortages, and inventory management shortfalls, all of which are expected to diminish with the passage of time, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. 2. The trimmed mean personal consumption expenditures price deflator, which removes extreme price gains as well as extreme price declines, has not been exhibiting any sharp acceleration. 3. The Federal Reserve has indicated that it will begin tightening monetary policy to bring inflation under control if price pressures exhibit signs of becoming permanently embedded rather than transitory. 4. Whatever final form of the proposed physical infrastructure bill takes, it is much smaller than the COVID relief economic security payments and is targeted to be spread over five to eight years rather than being immediately injected into the economy. 5. The significant degree of labor market slack could take several years to work off and help keep wage price inflation contained. 6. Among other materials, copper and lumber prices have begun declining from their recent peaks. 7. Clamping down on rising domestic prices, the Chinese government in late May expressed zero tolerance for abnormal transactions and malicious speculation in commodities markets. 8. Rising short-term interest rates relative to intermediate and long-term interest rates known as a flatter U.S. Treasury yield curve, generally indicates slower economic growth ahead. 9. Recent strength in the U.S. dollar currency index tends to exert downward pressure on the price of imported goods. 10. Although the May University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey reported one-year inflationary expectations at positive 3.7%, the survey's five-year inflationary expectations registered positive 2.8% indicating that consumers view inflation as transitory rather than becoming structural, and 11. As shown in the chart provided in the original commentary, a late June 2021 survey of 52 economists found that 70% estimated that the likelihood of market inflation expectations exceeding positive 3% in 2022 was somewhat unlikely or very unlikely. In coming weeks and months, 
financial markets' attempts to determine whether inflation is transitory or enduring are likely to exert significant influence on asset prices. For example, cyclical sectors, such as materials, financials, and industrials, that would be expected to do well in an inflationary environment would be expected to appreciate. It is our view that inflation rates may peak and come down from recent fairly high levels, yet we hasten to point out that such a slowdown is not equivalent to disinflation and may in fact end up producing an average rate of increase in the general price level that is actually higher than the pre-pandemic experience. Now let's discuss corporate profits. As of July 2nd, according to FactSet, a record number of S&P 500 companies have issued positive revenue and earnings guidance for a second quarter 2021. Securities analysts were carrying the following forecasts for S&P 500 revenues and earnings, respectively. First quarter 2021, positive 10.9% and positive 52.5%. Second quarter 2021, positive 19.6% and positive 63.6%. Third quarter 2021, positive 12.3% and positive 23.6%. Fourth quarter 2021, positive 9.2% and positive 18.1%. And for the full 2021 calendar year, positive 12.4% and positive 35.5%. Following the passage of Federal Reserve administered stress tests, of 23 of the nation's largest banks are in the process of announcing stock repurchase and dividend increases likely to reach up to $200 billion. Corporate after-tax earnings could potentially be reduced by the early July agreement among 130 countries to make significant changes to the international tax system, with the proposed rules, if passed, targeted to be put in place by 2022 and implemented in 2023, including 1. Pillar 1, which would grant countries the right to tax large companies based on where they generate revenue, and 2. Pillar 2, which would establish a global minimum corporate tax rate of 15%, as stated in the Wall Street Journal. Pillar 1 may have to be dealt with as a separate bill and would need support from at least two-thirds of the U.S. Senate, since it alters America's agreements with other countries and means the United States must change existing treaties or create new treaties. Pillar 2, which alters U.S. domestic legislation, could potentially be passed using the so-called reconciliation process which can be used by the U.S. Congress once each fiscal year and bills passed by this route can clear the Senate with a simple majority. Passage of these proposed tax changes is by no means certain, with numerous lawmakers having already expressed opposition to a tax aimed primarily at U.S. companies and to a tax policy that in effect shifts to other governments' revenue which America might otherwise claim for itself. And, as tabulated by Yardini Research Incorporated, At the end of first quarter 2021, S&P 500 companies' forward net profit margin stood at a record high 12.8%. In our opinion, as third quarter 2021 and fourth quarter 2021 progress and the economy continues to reopen, analysts may slow down or halt their upward earnings revisions, and these profit margins may come under some degree of pressure owing to rising commodity prices, labor, and other cost pressures, supply chain issues, and especially higher corporate taxes. Another source of S&P 500 profit uncertainty is represented by potential regulatory, legislative, antitrust, and other state and federal legal challenges to the corporate sector, with particular emphasis on social media and large-cap technology companies. Among other issues, the U.S. House of Representatives, as of early July, is considering a package of bills that would severely limit the ability of tech mega-cap companies to expand via acquisition. 
and could force them to sell some existing businesses. While the currently wide profit margins and the cheerful revenue and earnings profit forecasts presented represent a tailwind for equities prices, we nevertheless continue to emphasize caution, quality, and active security selection in the styles and sectors. Now let's discuss investor exuberance and liquidity. Entering the second half of the year, it is worth keeping in mind that summer equity and bond trading volumes tend to be lighter than average and as a result, thin trading activity can on occasion exacerbate volatility in price movements, as numerous investors remain on the sidelines. Among the key questions investors are pondering at the turn of the second half of the year are 1. How much good news is already reflected in market prices? 2. Will financial asset prices be able to cope with and digest the next pronouncements in monetary policy actions by the Federal Reserve, whether they delay or accelerate reducing policy stimulus? And 3. What fresh catalysts, earnings, taxation, legislative, public health, and or geopolitical can produce a meaningful move in equity prices and interest rates? As depicted in the chart provided in the original commentary, since the bottom of the global financial crisis on March 9, 2009, U.S. equities, as measured by the MSCI U.S. Share Price Index, have risen by a significant amount, both in absolute terms, positive 556.1%, and relative to emerging markets, European, Japanese, and UK equities. And over the past year, as shown in the chart provided in the original commentary of the VIX volatility index, despite episodic instances of high volatility in certain stocks and industry groups, on an aggregate basis, overall equity market volatility as measured by the VIX index has traced essentially a downward pattern since spiking to a level above 80 at the beginning of the pandemic-induced economic lockdowns. As goes a time-honored saying in the futures trading pits in Chicago and globally, when the VIX is high, it is time to buy, and when the VIX is low, it is time to go slow. Recent low levels of the VIX volatility index reflect a preternatural from the Latin for beyond nature, degree of investor calm, complacency, and nonchalance. Such conditions call for an extra degree of investor caution and vigilance. And, with U.S. equities having generated stellar price performance over the past 12 months and the VIX volatility at low levels, it is not surprising to note how popular stocks have become among the household sector. The chart provided in the original commentary shows that U.S. households' equity allocation as a percentage of total financial assets has reached a record high, 36.5% in first quarter 2021 well above previous secular bull market peaks of 29.7% in fourth quarter 1968 and 32.5% in first quarter 2000. These percentages should strike an admonitory note while seeming to confirm one of the precepts of the legendary Merrill Lynch investment strategist Bob Farrell. The public buys the most at the top and the least at the bottom. In an acronym-laden investment environment, for example, YOLO, you only live once, FOMO, fear of missing out, and TINA, there is no alternative. It is also worth keeping in mind the built-up spending power and potential investing flows represented by the absolute level 17.16 trillion and 18-month growth positive 3.5 trillion of liquid assets on consumers' balance sheets. Over several cyclical and secular asset price movements, we have maintained that the principal drivers of asset prices are 1. Fundamentals, 2. Valuations, and 3. Psychological, technical, liquidity factors. And in the time interval leading up to asset price zeniths, where investor psychology is highly optimistic and euphoric, 
and leading down into asset price nadirs, where investor psychology is quite despondent and despairing, by far, the most important driver of asset prices is psychological, technical, liquidity factors. We want to emphasize the importance of recognizing that buoyant investor psychology, evidenced by such developments as crowdsourced trading activity, enthrallment with meme and story stocks, elevated initial public offering and options trading volume, fascination with special purpose acquisition companies, SPACs, and highly unrealistic long-term equity returns expectations, among other aberrations, has become an increasingly important influence on assets investment performance, reflecting these sanguine developments and partly due to abundant global liquidity and massive monetary stimulus, in contrast to the nine corrections of negative 5.0% or more during 1999, itself quite a euphoric year, leading up to the dot-com bust of early 2000. As of early July, the S&P 500 has not experienced even one negative 5% drawdown in the previous eight months, representing the longest interval since early 2018. Prior to this month's discussion of portfolio positioning, the following two sections describe the essential features, advantages, risks, and investment performance of 1. Real estate investment trusts and 2. Inflation-protected securities. Real Estate Investment Trusts Description In its broadest sense, real estate refers to tangible property including land, buildings, oil, and mineral rights, and or crops that give its owner the right of possession, enjoyment, lease rental to another party, and disposal. Real estate may be distinguished from movable possessions and personal property such as automobiles and livestock and encompasses a large, fragmented, diverse group of property types geographic locations, direct and non-direct ownership structures, and financial characteristics ranging from highly predictable income-producing properties to speculative assets whose return is purely a function of changes in capital value. Three related and sometimes imprecise methodologies for valuing real estate include 1. The predictability, amount, growth, and financial engineering potential of the cash flow a property can generate, and the multiple that buyers are willing to pay for this cash flow. This method is known as the net present value approach. 2. Reviewing prices for comparable property types and 3. Cap rate, defined as a property's net operating income before debt service and depreciation, divided by its purchase price. Two important legislative acts affecting real estate include 1. The Real Estate Investment Trust Act of 1960, intended to foster public share ownership of real estate, and 2. The Tax Reform Act of 1986, which eliminated a large number of real estate tax shelters. Choices Public securities markets exposure to real estate and other real estate assets is available through direct or mutual fund investment in 1. REITs, dedicated to the apartment, office industrial, hotel, retail, and other sectors in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. 2. Non-REIT real estate operating companies. 3. Equities with significant real estate assets in the lodging, gaming, and healthcare industries. And 4. Real estate-related companies such as home builders, construction firms, and title insurers. The non-public markets for U.S. and non-U.S. real estate and other real assets are many times larger than the public markets and include leveraged or unleveraged exposure to 1. Owner-occupied residential homes, second homes, single-family rental properties, and smaller commercial assets. 2. Outright ownership of real estate properties, participation in real estate opportunity funds, core funds, and other types of funds that focus on underperforming assets or co-investment with partnership sponsors and 3 farmland, forestry, and timber, and oil and gas properties. Rationale for investment. 1. 
Due to their relatively straightforward pattern of income generation, several segments of the real estate asset class possess important defensive characteristics. The opportunity for cash flows to increase over time may also allow real estate to prosper in favorable economic and demographic environments. The returns of real estate investment trusts, REITs, tend to exceed bond returns and at times are competitive with equity returns, too. Due partly to the fact that their returns are largely driven by asset-specific supply and demand influences, real estate assets generally have low correlations of returns with U.S. and developed non-U.S. equity and slightly negative correlations of returns with U.S. and non-U.S. bonds, high-yield bonds, and emerging markets equity. They thus may act as an effective diversifier within a portfolio. The heterogeneity of real estate types and locations also allows diversification within and across real estate sectors. Three. As a tangible, visible, and possibly aesthetically pleasing asset whose supply is reasonably fixed or which may not be readily expandable due to zoning laws, development restrictions, or land management and conservation policies, and whose income-generating ability and or capital values respond to such forces as employment trends, immigration, new household formation, and long-term changes in the general price level, many forms of real estate may function as a hedge against changes in the general price level. Four, Owing in part to the relative infrequency and subjectivity of the appraisal process for many property types, the standard deviation of real estate returns is generally lower than the standard deviation of equity returns, and for REITs may be higher than the standard deviation of bond returns. 5. Because to some degree it is a relatively inefficient market, real estate offers the opportunity for skilled participants to identify and capture value through understanding the structure and potential of specific properties, financial and operating expertise, market knowledge, and access to relationships. Risks and concerns. 1. Real estate may not function well as an effective investment in disinflationary or deflationary global, national, or local economic environments. Although operating income from property tends to lag, changes in the economy due to the nature and tenor of lease terms during highly adverse times lessers may cut back on their space commitments, possibly reducing or skipping their real estate rental payments without declaring default on their other outstanding debt. 2. In response to cycles of expansion and contraction, shifting supply-demand conditions, interest rate movements, borrowing, and lending practices, capital gluts and capital vacuums, Real estate may at times be subject to feast or famine prices and returns, with substantial divergences between 1. property prices and replacement values and 2. for REITs, share prices and per share net asset values. 3. many real estate assets are not dividable and are characterized by illiquidity, high transaction costs, lengthy time periods to affect the sale or purchase of a property, and significant price discounts associated with distressed sales. 4. Certain real estate properties and forms of ownership may be expensive and or complicated to locate, research, value, finance, maintain, manage, lease out, pay taxes on, recapitalize, improve, transfer, and calculate returns and identify sound exit strategies for. 5. Due to the single asset, single region, single type nature of real estate, its virtual immovability and shifts in the relative popularity of certain property types and locations, real estate may be subject to a number of special considerations including 1. Bubble-like asset price movements, possibly followed by sharp price declines, 2. Environmental laws and claims relating to the property itself or its building materials, 3. Depreciation, depletion, or obsolescence, 4. The quality of funds from operations, FFO, 5. Localized tax codes, zoning requirements, 
legal rights, and customs. 6. Exposure to uninsurable losses stemming from acts of God, terrorism, cybersphere outages, and other risks. 7. The somewhat shorter lease terms for hotels and apartments than for other properties. And 8. The generation of unrelated business taxable income for tax-exempt U.S. investors. Now let's discuss inflation-protected securities. Description. Inflation index securities refer to bonds whose principal and or coupon payments are adjusted with a general level of prices as measured by a commonly accepted price index. In January 1997, the U.S. Treasury began auctioning capital-indexed bonds, known alternatively as Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS, or Treasury Inflation Index Securities. Originally issued with maturities of 5, 10, and 30 years, TIPS generally pay semi-annual fixed real coupons multiplied by a principal amount that is adjusted upward monthly by an accretion amount paid to the investor at maturity and determined with a three-month time lag by the non-seasonally adjusted consumer price index for all urban consumers, CPI-U. TIPS are usually non-callable securities and often have fairly long durations relative to their maturities because a significant portion of the total return is in the form of the inflation-adjusted principal amount paid at final maturity. Any interim price deflation accruals are deducted from inflation accruals, and in the arguably tumultuous and highly unlikely event of cumulative deflation over the life of a tip security, its principal amount is guaranteed to be repaid by the U.S. Treasury at its original face value. Choices. In addition to tips, other capital index bonds and, in a more limited number of cases, interest-only index bonds and indexed annuity bonds, have been issued on a limited basis in a variety of maturities and structures by federal agencies, corporations, and municipalities, and sometimes in meaningful quantities by non-U.S. issuers in more than 20 foreign capital markets. Several inflation protection mutual funds seek to add value in excess of annual management fees through sector, issuer, and maturity selection and other tactics aimed at benefiting from supply-demand imbalances, seasonal factors, yield curve movements, and changing expectations for the general price level. Some investors monitor the equivalent maturity, preferring tips if the actual inflation rate is expected to be above the break-even spread, and conventional U.S. Treasury bonds if the actual inflation rate is expected to be below the break-even spread. Subject to annual per-person limitations on new purchases, Series I Inflation Index Accrual Security U.S. Savings Bonds have a number of tips-like features. Rationale for Investment 1. Tips offer an effective hedge against inflation through a reliable stream of real income payments and adjustments to principal that can keep pace with the price increases in a market basket of consumer-oriented goods and services. 2. Due to their high degree of correlation with unanticipated inflation episodes over the course of multi-decade economic and financial cycles, tips have tended to exhibit very low or meaningfully negative correlations of 1 to 10-year returns with U.S. and non-U.S. equities, similar duration conventional U.S. bonds and alternative asset classes, and moderate to high correlations of 1 to 10-year returns with cash instruments. 3. Because of the relative stability of real interest rates, which have tended to be approximately one-third to one-half as volatile as nominal interest rates, tips generally behave as low-volatility assets, with standard deviations of annual returns that tend to be one-fourth to one-fifth those of equities and similar duration bonds. 4. Owing to their low standard deviations of annual returns, their low to negative correlations of one- to ten-year returns with most asset classes, and their frequently favorable real yield comparisons versus the real yields of conventional bonds, 
tips may reduce the overall long-term risk level of a portfolio of assets. 5. As a result of their different degree of price responsiveness compared to other asset classes, in varying financial environments and their positive return characteristics in periods of stable to falling real interest rates coupled with rising inflation, in appropriate circumstances, TIPS can serve as an effective diversifying substitute for conventional bond-like asset classes, in some cases allowing potentially greater emphasis on equity-like and or alternative asset classes, risks, and concerns. 1. For taxable investors, the semi-annual real interest payments on TIPS are taxed each year as ordinary income, even though the monthly inflation adjustments to principal are not received until the final maturity of the bond. The amount of this phantom income is also fully taxable each year. In sufficiently high tax brackets and at moderately high CPI inflation rates, TIPS may very well generate negative current cash flow. As a result, taxable investors may need to hold TIPS in tax-deferred accounts and or to consider, instead, tax-exempt inflation protection securities. 2. Depending upon the duration of the tips and the magnitude of the real interest rate rise, higher real interest rates may cause capital losses on tips. The level of real interest rates is generally influenced by fluctuations in capital, supply-demand factors such as real economic growth rates, federal budget and or balance of payment surpluses or deficits, and monetary policy. Three. For a series of holding periods of one year or less, TIPS may lose some of their beneficial diversification features due to moderate or high correlations of returns with conventional bonds caused by short-term common movements in real and nominal yields, flight-to-quality effects, and other factors. 4. During periods of declining inflation expectations, falling inflation rates, or outright deflation, TIPS may underperform conventional bonds of the same maturity or duration. 5. TIPS possess certain potentially complicating features associated with 1. Their post-1997 status as a relatively new, untested, not widely understood, and somewhat lower liquidity instrument sometimes featuring wider bid-ask trading spreads. 2. The behavior of and interaction among expected inflation, inflation risk premiums, nominal interest rates, and real interest rates. 3. The risk that a decline in the external purchasing power of the U.S. dollar may exceed its domestic adjustment for inflation. And 4. The efficacy of various index contingencies available to the U.S. Treasury in the event that the applicable consumer price index is discontinued or fundamentally altered in a matter materially adverse to TIPS investors. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. Portfolio positioning strategies. In the current moderately slowing economic expansion and somewhat softer yields environment, we believe that careful thought, planning, and attention needs to be devoted to the investor's most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy, which include 1. Diversification, which means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which encompasses using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio, while at the same time adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though deemed not permanent, price declines versus intrinsic value. 3. Risk Management which involves recognizing when markets become consumed by meme securities, momentum plays, 
story stocks, and information overload, a situation that has pertained in recent months to more than a few companies in the technology space, and understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and the appropriate roles of short-term liquid securities, real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decades-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency resets. 4. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade off income versus capital growth, all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, equanimity, patience, tax awareness, and longevity in capturing and compounding dividend, coupon, rental, and other income flows. 5. Asset protection and husbandry, which encompasses considerations of income and capital gains taxation at the state, local, federal, and possibly international level, estate planning, relevant insurance design and structuring, cybersecurity shielding, portfolio monitoring and reporting, administrative costs, forms, frequency, and means of access and custody. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning principles. We continue to allocate a considered and considerable exposure to equities, with judicious shifts between styles, sectors, and geographies, and, where appropriate from a cost, timing, tax, liquidity, and size standpoint, public versus private markets. Expressed are a number of themes that we believe should be taken into consideration over the next few years in selecting asset categories, asset classes, asset managers, sectors, companies, and security types. 1. Paying attention to the value of money. Taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, government debt monetization, and the modern monetary theory approach that to some degree in the pandemic response era has been pursued by the authorities, within shifting money and credit cycles, to service America's massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness, and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and healthcare promises. 2. Concentrating on all weather sectors and companies, seeking investments with balance and flexibility that are able to thrive regardless of which political persuasion informs the thinking and policies of the White House and or Congress, evolving environmental, social, and governance, ESG, priorities and values, wealth distribution initiatives and public health conditions, and wider socioeconomic trends. 3. Distinguishing between temporary and permanent change, focusing on the commercial and financial implications of new social and political power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new energy sources and resources, new trade patterns, new on- and offshoring channels, new work-from-home and work-from-anywhere employment modalities, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations in forms of person-to-person and business-to-business, work, leisure, learning, and wellness activity. 4. Taking advantage of demographic tailwinds. Through U.S. and select non-U.S. companies, gaining exposure to and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the rapidly expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. 5. Comprehending and verifying past success. Emphasizing companies and sectors that have demonstrated successful track records and past experience in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models and the ability to generate and sustain high multi-year returns on equity, derived from revenue growth and favorable margin preservation rather than through overly high levels of leverage, meaningfully above the companies and sectors weighted average cost of capital, and 6. Identifying innovative and disruptive technology hegemons, 
Focusing on technology enablers, disruptors, and dominators in biotechnology, diagnostics, and therapeutics based on CRISPR, clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats, public health, artificial intelligence, data analytics, machine learning, 5G cellular network technology, the Internet of Things, infrastructure, robotics, quantum computing, battery inventions, alternative energy, electric vehicles, and cybersecurity, while not least, also taking account of the environmental, social, and governance, ESG characteristics of companies in these and other fields. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning tactics. One, keeping things in perspective. Many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, purchasing power protection, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving and sometimes rapidly shifting tax regimes, social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological penetration and usage, and importantly, perceptions of the definition, role, degree of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. Two, flexibility versus conviction in formulating investment thinking, in seeking to determine when to adhere to and when to lean against prevailing consensus views, sometimes pejoratively referred to as groupthink. It is important to critically question the soundness and durability of the reasoning and assumptions underlying a given investment framework and positioning at any point in time. While it may not make sense to hold out of consensus views just for the sake of doing so, often expressed as fighting the tape, at other times, especially at major cyclical or secular turning points, at a major asset top, when reality is finally found to fall short of prevailing overly optimistic expectations, or a major asset bottom, when reality is shown to be worth considerably more than prevailing overly pessimistic expectations, the rewards of implementing a contrarian stance can be quite meaningful. 3. Enhancing and preserving. While we confess to a continuing degree of unease over recent manifestations of investor exuberance and the popularity of certain stocks and sectors considered to be forever holdings, our short-term inclination at this juncture is to take note of the Federal Reserve's support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of such strength to continue the course of upgrading positions, offloading lower-quality, higher-risk assets, and with timing and price discipline, adding to attractively priced, higher-quality assets on equity market pullbacks. 4. Equity emphases and de-emphases. Particularly, in the current conditions of historically low U.S. Treasury interest rates, and given the likely focus areas of government spending initiatives, to us it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, deserve to retain some degree of valuation premium. Within equities, one, we recommend continuing to gradually shift emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the inclusion of select value sectors, companies, and managers. Two, we continue to counsel adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space to our primary yet gradually lessening emphasis on large capitalization enterprises. And three, for the time being, while we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities, with any pullbacks currently viewed as an opportunity to judiciously add equities, particularly those sectors and small and mid-cap companies likely to benefit from an economic recovery, 
Year-to-date through June 30th, the Russell 2000 Index was positive 17.0%, outperforming the S&P 500 Index up positive 14.4%. While we also espouse building higher allocations to our positions in emerging market equities and developed international markets such as Japan, with the Nikkei 2025 Index year-to-date through June 30th, up positive 4.9% in local currency terms. 5. Focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset managers, sectors, and specific companies that can benefit from the major, sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including 1. Incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. 2. A focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and sustainable consumer demand. And 3. Advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, we emphasize identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like, cash-rich balance sheets, prudence in balance sheet utilization, limited debt, consistency, and durability of positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models with sustainable competitive advantages, high barriers to entry low threat of substitute products, and viable pricing power vis-a-vis suppliers and or customers that, over a long time frame, can generate high returns on equity through revenue growth and enduring profit margins rather than through overly high levels of leverage. 6. Balancing growth and value sectors. Through Tuesday, July 6th, the Russell 1000 growth index, including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 14.8%, while the Russell 1000 Value Index, including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial businesses, had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 15.8% year-to-date. This one percentage point value minus growth returns differential appears to argue for some degree of balanced exposure in selected growth sectors, companies, and managers, as well as selected value sectors, companies, and managers. As this process continues, it is worth keeping in mind that true value investing represents identifying assets that are trading for less than they are actually worth, not assets that are merely inexpensive. Many superficially inexpensive assets may very well be inexpensive for a reason and can very well remain so or deteriorate further. 7. Fixed Income Securities Bond prices persist at elevated price levels with ultra-low yields across the maturity spectrum, even though yields have risen somewhat since year-end 2020, with according to Bloomberg in mid-December an astounding total of $18 trillion in global negative-yielding sovereign and some corporate debt outstanding, we affirm our preference for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum, both in taxable investment-grade and high-yield bonds and in tax-exempt bonds where we continue to see some pockets of value on a taxable equivalent basis. We see fixed income securities as continuing to be subject to price risk due to our expectation of somewhat higher yields in the second half of 2021. And thus, we prefer maturities and durations along the short to intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 8. U.S. Dollar Outlook After declining negative 9.9% in 2017, appreciating positive 4.4% in 2018, marginally gaining positive 0.4% in 2019, declining negative 3.4% in 2020, 
the DXY US dollar index measured versus a basket of six major currencies the euro, Japanese yen, Swedish krona, British pound, Canadian dollar, and Swiss franc, had, as of the market close on June 30th, appreciated positive 3.1% year to date in 2021. Over the next few quarters, we believe the US dollar may begin to trace a gradual path of weakness as, due primarily to the U.S. trade deficit cycle as global investors become increasingly aware of the magnitude of the U.S. current account payments deficit and not least the massive fiscal 2020 and 2021 federal government budget deficits. 9. Alternative Investments and Real Assets In alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to 1 commodities and real asset sectors of the economy, including industrial metals, agriculture, and materials, to gold and or gold mining ETFs shares, particularly the miners with reserves in stable geographic locations, capital discipline, and cash flow growth. As of January 21st, according to Sprott Asset Management, the NYSE ARCA Gold Miners Index traded at an enterprise value to earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization ratio of 7.81 times, compared to the equal-weighted S&P 500's ratio of 16.76 times, the widest spread in 10 years. 3. High-quality master-limited partnerships with strong business models and sustainable dividend-paying capacity. 4. Select investments in private credit and private real estate. 5. And opportunistic strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the economic and profits recovery that we expect in the year ahead. This concludes our July market commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Director of Portfolio Management with Americana Partners. Stay invested.